This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. for Meraki Minds, stories from inspiring women, with your host, Ami Pagdal. Hello, Kiara, and welcome to the Meraki Minds. I'm Ami Pagdal, an integration technology specialist who is very excited to share the journey of opportunity, challenges, solutions, and guidance from the wonderful people around the New Zealand. Meraki is a Greek word that describes immersing your soul into whatever you do with an absolute passion and undivided attention. Michelle Sharp is the CEO of the UNICEF Altera, one of 33 UNICEF national committees, which raise funds for UNICEF's worldwide emergency and development work. Michelle joined the leading child rights organizations in December 2020, bringing with her a strong drive to lead their biculture journey and dedication to both children and women's rights. She holds multiple directorships, including that of the Kilmock Enterprise, Akina Foundation, and is an Edmund Hillary Fellow which was appointed independent chair of BNZ. Michelle has a strong background in the digital innovation, transformational leadership, and global stakeholder engagement. Driven by business excellence and the social change, her personal mission is to create a more inclusive society, one in which no one is left behind. In 2018, Michelle was named as a finalist in the NZ Businesswoman of the Year for the Business and Innovation. The same year, Michelle was also honored with the Braveheart Award in recognition for her mahi with the Kilmarnock, a pioneering social enterprise, providing education, employment, and opportunities for people with learning disabilities, empowering them to lead a purposeful life. Michelle led the Christchurch-based charity for 11 years. Thanks to her leadership, it becomes one of the New Zealand's first examples for leveraging large-scale social impact investment, having raised significant amount of capital to build their own new base camp, allowing growth and further opportunity for those with the disabilities. As a CEO of the Kilmarnock, she transformed their business model from not-for-profit that relied on the grant funding to a thriving and sustainable social enterprise that now employs over 65 people who face barriers to employment. She worked tirelessly to break global regulations to enable Kilmarnock to become the first charity in the world to be certified as a B Corporation. Under her guidance, it has received more than 12 national awards. This included awards for Business for Good, Champion Workplace, Champion Charity, and the Best Recycling Initiative. Hello, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you, Amy. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. You are quite involved in the charity, UNICEF, and all these different organizations where you can give a lot of back to the community. But when you were a kid, what you wanted to be, what was your dream job or what was your like a goal that you wanted to achieve as a kid? Yes. Yeah, so when I was a kid, um, I was very entrepreneurial in my thinking, um, but I always had the sense. So I always knew I was going to go into business somehow. Like that was just something I knew from a very young age. But I also always had this concept, um, and again, from a really a peculiarly young age, that the business was a place to connect. Um, so I actually had my first, very first business, which was the Garfield Drawing Club, 
at about the age of 11. Um, and it was a way, I lived in Mexico City at a time, it was a way to draw out all the children from the different houses after school um, as a way of bringing them together and doing something for the community. And we would, there was a membership fee and we would raise funds and then those funds would be go towards prizes. So I think from a very, very young age, I always had this concept with that. Certainly now looking back that I realized that the business was a tool to actually create inclusivity and equity. Yeah, so that's how I started. But um, um, very early on in my, um, my career, um, I fell into telecommunications and IT. And the other thing that I really, really have always loved is that very cutting edge, high tech technology, future technologies has always excited me. You started a career as IT, and then you are now into the UNICEF in this organization. So where did this transformation took place? Yes, and it was definitely a transformation, or you could call it an early midlife crisis. I'm not sure how we could position it in many different ways. So, so I left um, university, and I was really lucky to um, to be sponsored by Vodafone, um, who was uh, it was an emerging organisation back in the UK at the time. Hard to think now, such an amazingly large global um, brand, um, and they sponsored me to go to university. And as a result of that, that's how I fell very naturally into the whole um, tech and IT space. And um, I had a great career, I have to say. I have a lot to thank Vodafone. Um, they put me through my undergraduate degree in maths, and then they paid for me to do a, um, a diploma in marketing, and then they eventually put me through an MBA as well. So super, super grateful. And what that gave me an ability to do through both my time at Vodafone, um, working for a smaller local organization in the UK, and then having my own, um, my very own um, tech startup, I was able to um, really play with what worked and what didn't work in terms of business and my leadership. Um, so very lucky to have had that opportunity and exposure at such a young age. But about the age of um, uh, 28, I must have been, or a bit older, I woke up one day and by this point I had my own organisation. I was a founding director. There were five of us that had founded the organisation. And I had really, really naively believed that because... I had a, an ownership in this organization that I would be able to influence the culture and how we did things differently to me being an employee of an organization. But realized after a couple of years that ultimately my fellow directors, when it came down to, they may have said different things, when it came down to it, it was all about shareholder return. And that frustrated me and it, it messed with my personal values so much because I really believed so genuinely that by being a good leader, a kind leader, um, by putting everything into our employees, by putting everything into our customers and by caring about our local community, that our shareholder would ultimately be looked after. But they always went straight for that. So my very deliberate um, move into the for purpose world was because I said to my husband, that's it, I can't do this anymore. This is my baby, this organization. I need to move far away. So we went from the UK to New Zealand. You can't get much further away. And it was absolute frustration um, uh, and disillusion, if I can call it that, um, with the corporate sector. I deliberately sought out um, how could I apply the skills that I had learned, of which I had this incredible exposure what could I do with those skills rather than it all being a waste of time and apply them to doing some good? And that's where I came across Little Kilmarnock Enterprises, a charity um, in Christchurch. And I have to say, Amy, that when I first came across that, it was, although it was a deliberate move away from the corporate sector, I never for a minute thought I'd do it for more than a couple of years. So 
you know, 12 years on and um, I'm still, you know, <laughs> digging deep in this sector. It's clearly gripped me by everything and I love it. Kilmarnock has been a really uh, non-profit organization and you transform it into proper enterprise where they're employing like over 65 people right now. So how did this transformation took place again and what was something that you change in a way there to make it happen? Yeah, so when I came across Kilmarnock, I was really taken straight away by its reason for existence, its purpose, which was around providing somewhere meaningful for people with learning disabilities to go to every day and do something that was, you know, more than them just, you know, sitting at home. I very quickly realized that by underpinning the organization, which very much, you know, amazing people doing amazing stuff, but all of it through that real deficit model of a charity in some ways. Um, I thought if I can turn this on its head, underpin the organization with really strong commercial practices, never ever losing sight of the reason for our existence, creating a culture where everybody's here, not for their own um, ego, but actually for the purpose that's much higher than each and any one of us. And that maybe we could, we can turn this organization and become um, more self-resilient, um, more sustainable as an entity. So always, rather than always wondering and going cap in hand, where was our next dollar coming from? What if we could become masters of our own destiny in terms of actually having these sustainable revenue streams and in doing so actually delivering far more towards our purpose, which was we by then realized we had a real big role to play in our uh, local community here in Otatahi Christchurch around um, being a pathway for school leavers with learning disabilities, helping them gain the skills, the confidence and the tools, and then going on into sustainable employment of their own. So it was by almost deliberately underpinning the organization with all of the things that I've tried to do and didn't work in um, the for-profit sector because it always went back to shareholder return. I thought, well, if there is no shareholder, what if I do the other three things, um, the, our other three stakeholders, our community, our employees, um, uh, and um, our customers, and we do those justice, I think we can turn this around. So Kilmarnock became, at the time that the, the terminology social enterprise was emerging, we became really a pioneer for this new way of, of operating and behaving. So anyone walking through the doors of Kilmarnock now, first and foremost, naively would just see an enterprise. And then you have to kind of, an enterprise with an amazing culture. And then you have to delve a bit deeper to go, actually this organization exists because it has a vision of creating a world where everybody values diversity. You really bring up this uh, great idea of this accessibility card for all those uh, with the people with the disabilities. So where did that started and how was the journey to get it actually from plan to bring it into an actual thing? Yeah, and I have to say that, and I think you're referring there to probably Hapai Foundation. I'm the patron for Hapai. And, um, I, I can't take any credit for actually bringing that to life. Some amazing colleagues have done that um, and they've taken this concept in the UK. But what really struck me, the reason I agreed to become a patron is it's all about inclusivity. It's about making sure that nobody ever stands on the margins of society, that we have equity in everything that we do. So it's such a simple and great concept so that somebody can have a card to say, and each card's individual to the person, to say, this is me, this is who I am, and be proud of it as well but really to really um, help leverage a relationship with a retailer minute one. And when did you start getting involved into the UNICEF and what was that journey from onwards, the UNICEF? Yeah, so my, my 
UNICEF um, journey only started in January of this year, so very, very early days. And I have to say, it's like all the stars in the sky had aligned. Everything that I had done leading up to this point had happened for this. This is what I really, really believe. So um, if I tell the story, so between um, my day job at Kilmarnock, where I was CEO for, I think it's eight years, I actually came back to the corporate sector for a year and a half. So I actually worked at Vodafone again for a year and a half as head of digital innovation um, for New Zealand and um, also head of South Island, Vodafone South Island. Um, UNICEF is on a deliberate um, pivot to really open up and engage and leverage a sector that it's never really done so before here in New Zealand, which is a relationship with the corporate sector um, and philanthropy. We've done a great job of engaging with the public. We've done a great job of engaging with government, but we've never leveraged that piece. So the board at the time appointed um, an agency to actually go off and find somebody and pick them out of the corporate world. So when um, the agency that got the job allocated to them saw this, I was actually known to them. They thought, what a great um, what a great fit for somebody who spent half their career in the commercial world is in the commercial world, which is what the board wanted. But I understand the NGO sector. I understand the New Zealand charitable sector. And also I grew up in, um, in a country in Mexico. So I had seen firsthand um, some of the challenges of um, low and middle income countries, which, you know, UNICEF exists. We are the United Nations um, arm for children's rights. So we exist for children and we exist for all children. Um, but we work in particular in the low and middle income countries. So this job came looking for me very, very much. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been fantastic. It's been fantastic because um, I don't know who the audience is listening to this, so hopefully I don't get into trouble, but um, fantastic because in my time at Vodafone, I had, I had actually built a sense of purpose to our own digital innovation strategy. And it meant that the team for the first time, for many of them who'd only ever worked in a corporate setting or private setting, they really tangibly felt how powerful it is to have a sense of purpose that is greater than just you or just your organization. So the great thing is because I built that, by the time I went to UNICEF, I managed to convince quite a few of them to leave Vodafone and follow me, which is so good. <laughs> and I love Vodafone, by the way, I'm sitting in a Vodafone office right now. They're huge supporters and partners of UNICEF. But um, it was just such a great thing to be able to do. Yeah, that is actually the support we need from our companies to come forward, contribute and help the people because those effort does matter a lot. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we can't do it alone. UNICEF yeah. can't do it alone. New Zealand government can't do it alone. The United Nations can't do it alone. But if we all come together with the role that we each play, and that definitely sees a space for um, the private sector to be involved and philanthropy and, and the public as well, civil society. So I love the fact that I now play in this amazing space where I can kind of, you know, be the matchmaker of, of all of that for impact ultimately for children, which is just, a, I mean, what a privilege. What a privilege. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I personally get a chance to meet you at the Australian High Commission and witness that how amazing work you do for the children's rights. So how are you involved in the children's rights and women's rights currently? Yeah, so, I mean, clearly through the day job, through my work at UNICEF, we work very um, deliberately, um, strategically around um, influencing um, influencing government to make good choices around 
in particular children's rights with a UNICEF hat on in New Zealand, but also equally globally um, through the UN SDGs. So we're very aligned clearly as a UN organization with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals of which, you know, children's rights and women's rights are, are very, very much there. And then on a personal level, um, I do dedicate a huge amount of my time, um, probably more than I should, um, to mentoring um, young women and to really, and, and when I say mentoring, it's a two-way thing because I always call it a two-way mentoring. So I learn so much from them as well, but to really help empower them to be the best version of what they want to be. And um, it's something I actually did with a few um, young um, men as well, because I think it's equally as important. You know, we clearly live in a world where there are men and women um, for, for the men in the world to, to understand. But um, so, yeah, on a personal level, I, I do that. And then clearly at any opportunity I have to either kind of do a keynote speech or do a podcast or do an interview, if, if there's just one small thing that somebody can take away, then it's been worth it. I remember... I did, um, I don't know if you know Stephen Moe's um, Seeds podcast. Um, he's amazing local lawyer here in Otatahi Christchurch. Um, yep. And I was his very first um, podcast interviewee. And a lady in, I can't remember where exactly, she was in America anyway, had listened to it. And she said that she pulled over on the highway and there was something I had said, which that moment changed her decision to what she was about to do, which ultimately changed her career path. So I, I don't even can't even remember what it was or where she was, but you know, just to know that that's had a positive impact, that's just very real and very, very humbling, you know. <laughs> that is there because I think that's where the purpose of this podcast comes as well. Because you know, sometimes you are in those situations or in those times where you where you don't just know what is next or you are completely confused. But when you listen to some people going through the same thing or listening to your journey really does empower us. You're like, oh yeah, I can do it now. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and the thing that, the bravest thing I've ever done in my career, I would say, is going from being a young, ambitious, um, hardworking, I have to say, because I was studying and working and then children and all of that, um, person that was very strategic around building my career through, and you know, every time I moved away from company, I did it very strategically to build my CV and you know it was all very planned very very planned to go from that to having my dream of having my own business to leaving it all behind overnight just about and taking a massive step down the career ladder to actually meet my values my personal values face on has to be the bravest thing I've ever done but it's the best thing I've ever done and that's if there's one key thing that I can tell anyone is you'll know there are times in your life where it against all the the head of being wrong, the heart tells you it's right. You've just got to do it. You'll never regret doing it. You may regret not doing it. But what was those challenges in these times when you had to like change your decisions or even you was like stepping up in your like professional career? Yeah, I mean, I've had challenges. It'd be silly to say that I haven't had, ch I've had challenges throughout my career. I think it's the challenges that, that you know, that, that, that form who I am today. And it's what yes. I've taken from each challenge and, and what I've kind of said, okay, that was a challenge that I don't need to repeat that. That's the challenge, let's learn from it. And there have been challenges um, that I could talk about all the way. I mean, I had, at the beginning of my career, in a very, very male-dominated tech space, I was, I was young, I was different, had a different perspective. I often felt that um, I didn't have a voice that was really listened to. So I had to break through those challenges. Then I had the challenge of, you know, being a, a working mother with a, my own business startup that grew very fast. So I felt that, that the challenge then was I felt it was being a terrible parent and a terrible 
um, colleague as well. You know, so that in itself had its moments of challenges. Um, now my challenges are more. I'm, you know, I'm I'm uh, older and and I know myself more. My challenges more now are the frustration I have when, from a culture perspective, more than anything, from a values perspective, where I cannot get people to the same page. That is what keeps me up at night because I know how good it is when you get there. It's tangibly good, and that that's the bit that eats me right now is the fact that I've had the luxury of um with age and experience comes having seen the the good the bad and the terrible and the great is I get very frustrated but I can't go from here to the great immediately so they they are the challenges that keep me up at night at the moment and especially when there's impact at the end of it you know when you're in a full-purpose world and there's impact at the end of it so how did you take all those challenges? I think it's um, really important at any time, whether the challenge is a momentary one or a much bigger life decision one, to actually give it airtime, you know, with yourself or actually talking about it with other people is hugely, even if the other person can't respond, just you getting it out there. And then, I mean, you probably worked out from what I've said, I'm a very planned person. I've approached things through goals and plans and just making a plan and saying, okay, how am I going to step through this step by step and being prepared to um, navigate choppy waters. So it's never going to be getting from A to B. What are the little steps I need to do? And sometimes I need to change direction. Um, but being very deliberate, being very deliberate about what the outcome is and looking ahead and then um, breaking it down, which sounds very linear, but for the, my, the way my mathematical brain works it works for me <laughs> no that's that's again uh there's a thing like break it into small pieces in the digestible pieces and then make the decision see how you go yeah 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 and um surround yourself by people who have the best interest in, of you you know the heart of everything that's a really important bit of advice you know seek out the people who really ultimately care about you know you and your decision and whatever you're, you're navigating so important even you're quite involved with the like digital innovations transformational leadership and like as global stakeholder management and things so can you tell us a little bit more about into it yeah i mean i've always been interested in technology from a very young age um probably my father's fault he had me programming my own computer games at about the age of five. So <laughs> I'm a very techie savvy father. So yeah, um, I've always had technology in my life very, very, very early on. Um, and then clearly starting my career or half my career has been in the high tech um, future innovation space. But what I've come to now is I love looking at how you can use technology ultimately for good. So what technology can you use to leverage impact? You know, how in my day job with UNICEF, how can we use blockchain to demonstrate that the vaccine that needs to get to this kid over here is the vaccine that's getting to the right kid? You know, how can you use IoT for the same thing? How can you um, use all of these things to create donor transparency? How can you use augmented reality to get a donor engagement in a way that they're going to really understand the work, the amazing work that goes on for UNICEF on the ground without having to travel especially in this day and age, um, to the country. So that's the bit I get really excited about, is using future technologies to drive positive impact. Um, and, yeah, it feels to me like everything I've done up until this point, this moment in time, has been for this. 
So spookily, spookily, I went literally from a Friday working at Vodafone to Monday working at UNICEF. And as part of my induction, which was happening very in the very early hours of the morning across four weeks with UNICEF, the most thorough induction I've ever had, I was getting a bit delirious because I was so tired. And I was thinking, I think I left Vodafone because all of the slide, the induction was all about digital innovation and how it can help with positive impacts. So amazing collision of the, the, you know, the power of purpose underpinned by um, future technologies, disruptive technologies. Any young people out there, what kind of advice would you like to give them? In terms of business or in terms of? In general, anything. <laughs> I think you probably heard me say this before, but go and see if you're at a cross point where you don't know what next. I always use this tool. It's so simple and I think it's quite well known now, but go and seek out Ikigai. Have you heard of Ikigai, the Japanese um, concept? Yeah, Ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I, Ikigai. It's a Japanese philosophy that basically puts you at the heart of you know, what you're good at, what you're passionate about, what the world needs and what's sustainable for you. Um, in terms of you know for a job and it is a fascinating self-reflective thing to do if ever you're at a crossroad and I wish I really wish I had I landed at my ikigai at Kilmarnock without realizing and only discovered the philosophy afterwards otherwise I might have been able to accelerate my acceleration into the full purpose um, of social enterprise world way sooner so super 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 powerful if it's if you do it well and, and and revisit it you know the other thing i'd say for any young person is don't ever 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 compromise your values or who you are um you know there, there's always a home for you that is going to meet those values so don't go and sit in another place where actually you just feel the values are not who you are and you're having to therefore walk through the door whether it's business or community or whatever where you have to somehow mold yourself to be something that you're not to fit in it's really, really hard, but try to always be true to yourself. Be who you are and bring the best of you and therefore and bring the whole of you. That would be my other thing. You know, I spent many of my early career trying to be something that I wasn't to try and fit in. And actually, they weren't getting the best of me then. It was only when I was more confident enough to be the real me that I think I could be more successful and happier, ultimately. Totally. Just being yourself is, I think, enough. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today, Michelle. It was such a nice to have you on the show. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for having me. I hope there was a little snippet of something in there that's useful for somebody. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. To our listeners, hope you enjoyed listening to this inspiring story. And to continue listening to such wonderful stories, stay tuned and subscribe us. Please do share with your friends and family. 